He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more but you will see me. Because I live you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that... When it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, this is a time where we want to hear from you. Uh, this is a time where uh, your Holy Spirit uh, can open up our eyes to see things that perhaps we haven't seen before. Uh, we know that to see uh, spiritual things requires the eyes of faith. And oftentimes, uh, we try to utilize maybe uh, our intellect, which is a gift from you, our experience, which is also a gift from you. But in the end, um, God, you are spirit. We come and worship in spirit and truth, but we also uh, want to see um, through the illumination and the power of the Holy Spirit. So help us to hear from you today as we hear from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have started a series on the Holy Spirit, and if you weren't here last week, uh, I, I had a picture that uh, at least I find helpful to me, and it's this picture of a sailboat. And uh, in this picture, uh, what I picture is um, me personally, maybe us as a church, uh, perhaps you individually, uh, when you try to live this Christian life, uh, it's supposed to be lived with power. You want to see some kind of movement in your Christian life. You want to see something happen to your hearts. You want to see something happen to your situations. Me as a pastor, I want to see something move in this congregation and in New York City. We want that, right? Uh, but what I found, uh, for me at least, is I just kind of grew very weary and very tired. And I think the reason for that is because you take this sailboat and it's meant to be pushed and moved by this wind. And rather than relying and surrendering and depending upon this wind, I, I take oars and I just start rowing. And the thing about rowing is you can actually get some movement if you row the boat, right? Uh, things can move forward. You can see progress. But then at the end of the day, if, if you keep rowing and rowing and rowing, you will get tired. You will get worn down. You will get weary. And so we're going through this series because I think all of us could uh, use a reminder or perhaps for the first time uh, here about who the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is. 
To know that he is actually the power, he is the one that, that pushes and moves his sailboat. And many of us have obstacles in life, and uh, if those obstacles are represented by a current that is flowing against us, right, you, you try to row against the current, and it's hard. And then sometimes you move backwards. But a powerful wind can push you. Actually, I don't think this is true um, uh, geologically, but I don't think the wind and the waves will go in opposite directions. But let's say it does. Uh, a wind powerful enough can actually push you through the obstacles. So uh, I think that's where we need to be. I, I think that's what we need to do. We need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. And here is how I'm planning the series. I actually usually plan these series. Uh, uh, I try to schedule it. Uh, I'm not scheduling this one, but uh, the general structure is going to be uh, for a couple weeks. I want us to explore who is the Holy Spirit as a person. Who is he? And uh, for another couple weeks, perhaps a couple months, explore uh, what does the Holy Spirit do? So we're going to look at the person of the Holy Spirit and we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit. There's this phrase in the Bible that you find in um, one of Paul's letters and he says, be filled with the Spirit. Now grammatically, that, that phrase is very interesting because it's an imperative, which means it's essentially a command. Paul is saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But grammatically, it's a passive voice construction, which means we are not the ones who are the activators of it. Passively, something has to act upon us so that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's this kind of tension in terms of how do we understand that? And I think that tension is actually really important for us to understand. As I thought about this series, my, my thinking immediately went to, what do I want us to do, right? After this series happens, what do I want us to do? And that's kind of, I think, the default mentality or thinking that probably many of us have, especially in New York. Many of you are very uh, skilled, talented. It's like, all right, so what needs to be done? But the be filled with the Holy Spirit is actually not a call to, to do, to act. It's kind of a call to uh, just be passive and to surrender and allow the Holy Spirit to act upon us. And uh, you, you see that tension, and I think that's, that's where I want us to be uh, after the end of the series. Last week I said, just be open. Some of the things that you may hear may be foreign to you. Some of the things you hear you may not agree with. That's okay, just be open, because I think uh, at the end of the day, maybe not in this life, but in the life to come, God will make all things clear, and God will uh, show his truth. But just be open to who God is in the person of the Holy Spirit and what he can do and wants to do and desires to do upon your hearts. And the second thing I'd like us to be in this, in this season is just be seeking, okay? Just be seeking and say, uh, God, there, there is some, there's a power. I, I just don't, I feel weak. I feel defeated. I feel like a failure. Um, I feel tired all the time. I feel weary. My soul is drained. There's no joy. There's no peace. Seek the person of the Holy Spirit. So those are basically the two things I'm going to ask you to do during this series. Now, as we explore the person of the Holy Spirit, I, wanna, I just want to emphasize the Holy Spirit is a person. You know, we live in a very spiritual age and a spiritual culture, and people tend to think uh, spiritual things and call it an it. And you even hear some of us sometimes when we refer to the Holy Spirit, we don't say him, he. Sometimes we might say it as if it's like this impersonal power. Um, that, but according to the Bible, the Holy Spirit is a person, and like any person, you are supposed to have a relationship with that person. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was meeting up with my friend, and um, 
he's, uh, he's like the spiritual type, but he's, he's not a Christian or he's not a believer. And, you know, we're at a bar and he's just telling me about his life and we're catching up. And he's like, yeah, everything is going so good for me right now. Like, work is going so good. My business is so good. Relationships are so good. He's like, there's, um, you know, uh, somebody up there uh, must be looking out for me. And I was like, God, right? You mean God? <laughs> and then he, uh, he like, smiled at me. He's like, okay, fine, God. <laughs> And I, mean, I, was just, I said that to emphasize it's not just like some impersonal force that is at work in your life. God is personal, right? So I was like, um, it's, not, it's not like some higher power. It's God. God is personal. And you should, uh, you should know that he loves us and come out to church. <laughs> He's not going to do that. I've been saying that for years. But anyway, or maybe he will by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so the Holy Spirit is a person, and if you look at Scripture, you know, of course there's agency in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does things. The Holy Spirit is a power. Uh, so all those things are true. But then you, you scan Scripture. There are things it says the Holy Spirit grieves, right? That's a relationship verb, isn't it? The Holy Spirit uh, teaches. The Holy Spirit leads. Romans 8, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. So the first thing I think we have to get is the Holy Spirit is not an it, but the Holy Spirit is a person. And as a person, it is someone that we want to relate to. Uh, God is in the person of the Holy Spirit is not like a battery. It's not like an engine. Uh, but we want to grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So this season, I'm asking you to seek that relationship if you don't already have it. Or if you do already have it, to seek to grow it and get to know the Holy Spirit uh, in your own faith. Now, in this passage, uh, I think I'm going to look at this passage again next week because uh, it's so rich, and even as I read it again, there's so much in here uh, that is like treasure to us in terms of what it says about who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit. But the context of this passage is Jesus is about to leave. Uh, he is uh, spending his last moments with his disciples. He has told them he's anticipating the cross he knows that one day he's, or very soon, he is going to leave them, and he reveals this to them, and uh, their hearts are troubled. That's why Jesus says multiple times, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, have you ever had someone important in your life leave? Maybe it's like a leader of a company, maybe uh, in a church context, maybe it's a pastor, uh, maybe even in a family context, you know, someone leaves. Uh, that, that can do a lot to us emotionally, and uh, the first thing I think you, you feel when somebody says, I am going to leave, is you kind of feel a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of panic. And I bet these disciples ex felt that. I mean, they had spent three years with Jesus. They had uh, followed Jesus for three years. They had seen Jesus do wonderful and amazing things. And now Jesus says, I'm about to go. And in that kind of context, what, you know, what is really going to uh, make someone feel better? What is going to make them feel comforted uh, when this great figure of a great movement says he's going to leave? Jesus doesn't say, hey, disciples, I'm going to leave, but you guys got it. I've trained you well. I've taught you well. Uh, you guys are gifted and skilled people. He doesn't create this transition plan and says, oh, let me look at you 12. Well, Judas, um, the one that's going to betray me, you're not going to be the next leader. Uh, let me look at the other 11, right? He doesn't do that. 
there's actually no time to even create the succession plan <laughs> or transition plan, right? It's pretty sudden and it's pretty immediate. He's like, oh, I'm going to be leaving you one day. You know what he does say that is encouraging, that should be encouraging to them or that will eventually be encouraging to them is he says, I promise to send someone. He promises a person and this person is the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. And that language of orphans, I think, is really telling in terms of what the disciples could potentially feel when they hear the news that Jesus is leaving. Uh, orphans, I think, oftentimes will feel abandoned. Maybe they might feel even a little bit lost. Uh, there is no stability. There is no connection. And maybe after all these years, they've kind of experienced and formed this little family community. And now their leader says, I, I'm going to leave and in a pretty sudden way. But Jesus reassures them. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. You don't have to feel abandoned because I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to send a helper or an advocate in other translations. Now, that feeling of being abandoned, you know, it's a very emotionally powerful and strong uh, experience. And it, I think it causes a lot of emotional pain. If you've ever met somebody who felt abandoned or who actually was abandoned, uh, maybe uh, a parent abandoned them when they were a child, uh, it, it messes people up a lot. And, and the reactions can be very extreme. Some people can uh, just kind of perceive rejection all the time and I can't be accepted and I can't be loved. Uh, some people, maybe they, they want to emotionally isolate themselves and they never open up to anybody because that's their way of protecting themselves so that they don't experience the pain of abandonment again. Uh, now, here's, here's the thing. In the secular world and the psychiatric world, right, they'll, they'll call this abandonment issues. And uh, a lot of this stuff is, uh, you know, documented in like DSM. I think it's up to five now, the DSM-5. And uh, I think in the modern world, we probably tend to look at these kinds of things through a psychiatric lens. And therefore, uh, we see treatment through a psychiatric lens. Now, I'm not against uh, any of that, uh, any of those things. But uh, let me give you a different perspective. I had a counseling professor. He recently passed away uh, this past year, but uh, he, um, he worked as a clinical psychologist in a, in a hospital. And in that hospital, and while he was working in this hospital, he wasn't yet a believer. And he had this patient, and this patient was this young girl, and she was in there because she was cutting herself. Now, when he's in this hospital, uh, at night, he would hear her screaming and crying. And what she would scream and cry is she would say, who could love me? Who could accept me? Who could love me? Who could accept me? And that, that line just echoed throughout her, his mind over and over and over again. And he came to the conclusion, you know, uh, psychiatric medicine can address a range of things but it can't answer that question for this young girl. Who could love me and who could accept me? That's what prompted him to begin this journey to uh, eventually where he led him to Christ, where he became a Christian. But that, that cry, that, that desire for love, that desire for acceptance, it doesn't come from an impersonal force, but it has to come from a person, a personal relationship. And so when Jesus is saying, I will not leave you as orphans, the only thing that will ultimately help them is not to say, uh, well, things will be okay. The only thing that will really help them is, I will send another person. 
And in this person, the Father and I, we will make our home in you, and we will dwell in you. Now, let's sit on that imagery for a moment. You find that imagery in verse 22, this, uh, I will, uh, we will make our home in you. And let's just think about the implications of that. You know, a home, uh, if you come to my home, uh, if you come to my home today, because my wife is in California, <laughs> if you come to my home today, it's like a complete mess. Uh, <clears throat> oh, do I have stories about what happened this weekend? Anyway, uh, you know, my youngest child, uh, she is like usually the perpetrator of this mess. And here's what she does, I, I kid you not. She walks, she picks up like a box of like blocks or toys, she pours it out, throws it, and walks, right, picks up something else, right? Uh, so, you know, for a while, we're just like picking it up after her, but I'm like tired of cleaning up after her. And the return on investment for the amount of time she plays with something and the amount of time it takes to clean it up is not worth it. So I was like, you know, she's two years old. She needs to learn how to clean up after herself. So uh, every night what we've been doing, like there's a huge mess everywhere. I go and I, I say, you got to clean up. You got to clean this up. And she's like, no, uh, or you're not going to get dessert or whatever it is uh, unless you clean this up. And then she starts playing with it again. She's like, look, I'm playing with it. I go, no, no, we're done playing with it. It is time to clean it up. She books it and she runs, right? And then I chase after her, I pick her up, I bring her back to the mess and I say, time to clean it up. She's like, she picks up one piece and she puts it in the box and she says, it's too hard, can you help me? Now in the past, that has worked and I have helped her, but then you know what happens? I do all the cleaning, right? So I go, nope, I'm not helping you. You're old enough, you can clean up after yourself. So she's like, <laughs> right? Now, it could have taken me like two or three minutes to clean that up. Uh, in the case of trying to teach her and, and uh, make her clean up the house, uh, literally like 30 minute endeavor, right? Maybe 40 minutes to clean up this thing that could take me two minutes to clean it up. But that's what I do, right? Because I want the home to be clean. I want to guide her in that. I want her to grow and train and be responsible and experience the joy of knowing, hey, I'm able to do this and I cleaned it up. The reason why I love this imagery of I will make my home in you is because that's kind of what the Holy Spirit does for us. You see, the picture of our home in terms of our hearts, it's never clean. It's never clean. The Bible calls that sin. We have desires that are not good. We have uh, desires that are maybe too great and we place them higher than God. We have this fear in our hearts. We have unbelief in our hearts. We have anxiety in our hearts. We have pride in our hearts. We have anger in our hearts. We have lust in our hearts. What we do is we want to manipulate others to serve our needs. We want to control others. We, we have self-righteousness in our hearts. Our hearts are a complete mess. And when it says that the Godhead, the persons of the Godhead is going to come and make their home in us, it means this. They're going to make us clean. That is their ultimate desire. Now, how does that happen? Well, I don't know if this is a theologically accurate way to say it, but the first phase comes by way of declaration. 
When Jesus goes and he dies upon the cross, the reason why he dies upon the cross is so that he makes our home clean. And there's a declaration in that in terms of when Jesus dies, we can say that our sins have been forgiven, that we are holy and righteous in him. It's kind of like if there was a, a home inspection to judge whether a house is clean enough and you get this little certificate that says, I deem this house to be clean, like uh, in restaurants. When Jesus dies upon the cross, it is like we are getting that certificate. It's like, I deem this house clean. Therefore, you are loved. Therefore, you are accepted. Therefore, you are welcomed into the presence of the Father. People can come and eat in this home. Why? Because in Christ, the, his blood has made it clean. But there's an experiential reality, right? There's a reality that we live each and every day where we know, but I still have sin in my heart. I still mess up. I still do things that are wrong. I'm still pretty selfish. I think that's what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit communicates to us. He is the one who, uh, who walks around with us like uh, I walked around with my youngest child and says, look, look at this mess, right? Look at this mess. This has to be dealt with. Right? Look at this fear in your heart. That has to be dealt with. Look, look, at that, look at that hate that you have for this person and this bitterness that you have for this person. Let me show you this. This has to be dealt with. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does. It makes our home in us. Have you ever tried to, uh, I shared this with the deacons yesterday, have you ever tried to convict somebody of sin? It's impossible, right? Those of you in uh, relationships, whether it's uh, somebody at church, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a friend, whether it's a brother, whether it's a sister, whether it's a spouse, uh, especially children, you cannot convict them of their sin. In John 16, Jesus says that's what the Holy Spirit does, convicts us of our sin. Now, it's not convince, it's not uh, just say, hey, let me show you what your sin is, but a deep conviction that will lead to a place of brokenness, which will lead to a place of repentance, which will lead to a place of being renewed, which will lead to a place of worship. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And when he shows us this mess in our house, he doesn't just say clean it up yourself, but he says, here, let's clean it up together. It's maybe the most inefficient thing for me to do. And if you think about the gospel, that's the most inefficient way uh, for us to receive life and forgiveness for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to die upon a cross. But God is not about efficiency like the average New Yorker, right? But what the Holy Spirit will do in God's time is basically say, look, this is the mess. Let's clean it up. Let me lead you and guide you so that we can clean up this mess together. I will dwell in... Uh, in your heart. I will make my home in your heart, and I will make that home clean. That is what my desire is. There's a, um, you know, let me, let me just give this to you in context in terms of where that phrase comes about. Judas, and not the, not the one who betrays Jesus, not Iscariot, he says to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus' answer is, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now that first part of the phrase, what does that, what does that mean? I think it entails obedience, keeping his word, right? Now it's not, the, it's not saying that um, God's dwelling in you uh, is conditional uh, because God's love for us is out of sheer grace and it's like, uh, unless you obey me perfectly, then I will not accept you. It's not, it's not saying that. But at the same time, it is saying this. Obedience is supremely important. 
I think especially when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, we can say from Paul's letters, Paul says that we are the, the temple, right? Uh, a temple has to be sanctified, made holy, and me, be made a place fit for the dwell, to be a dwelling place of God. And what it's saying here is obedience is important. You have to keep God's word, and as you keep God's word, your experience of who God is, you will experience him dwelling in your heart, making his home in your heart. Now, what does obedience mean? I asked the deacons this yesterday. You know, we had a deacons meeting yesterday, and I said, what does it mean? What, what do you think it means to be obedient to the word of God? Uh, what is it, what do, what do people struggle with in terms of being disobedient? And, you know, there's a variety of answers, but I, I think it, it honed in on a great answer, and um, the collective sentiment seemed to be surrender. We live in a very hyper-individualistic culture. Uh, we are responsible for shaping our own path, our own agenda, making our own dreams come true, doing things our own way, and nobody bats eye. That's, that's how it's supposed to be done because culturally we're a hyper-individualistic culture. But again, this is connected with the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I, obeying the Word, I think, at, maybe not fundamentally, but... Uh, in a large part means this. You surrender. You surrender your will. You surrender your dream. You surrender your desire. And you say, God, you lead the way for me. Now, that, that's scary, right? If you really think about it, that's scary. I just read this book by A.W. Tozer, and when he's talking about how do you be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says three things. First, Present your body to him. Second, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And third, obey. Right, those are his three steps. But that first step, presenting yourself to him, uh, here, here's what he says. He says, I ask you, do you really want him to be Lord of your life? You want his benefits? Sure, I know that. I take for granted. Do you really want to be possessed by him? Do you want to hand the keys of your soul over to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, from now on, I don't even have a key to my own house? Are you sure you want your personality to be taken away by one who will expect obedience to the written and living word? Are you sure you want your personality to be taken over by the one who will not tolerate the self-sins? And he, he spent several paragraphs just asking these kinds of questions to get across the point. Do you really, truly, truly uh, are, are you willing to pre present your body to Christ and surrender to him? If you don't, he says, it's probably because of fear. You think you're going to lose control and you're afraid of that. Uh, you think something bad is going to happen if you do that and you're afraid of that. But what Tozer says is if you really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to surrender to him and if you're convinced by the reality the power and the goodness of god surrender is actually the best thing for us but that it's a fear right it's a fear is god gonna lead me to a place that i really don't want to go is he gonna do something in my heart that i really don't want and what satan does he magnifies that he shouts that at you and in our heart we're like Ugh, 
Uh, I'll give half of myself or part of myself. I'm not, unco- I'm not comfortable in this area, <laughs> so I don't want to surrender this. But I think if we want to experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within our hearts, we have to obey. And I think a big part of obedience is just a heart of surrender and say, God, take me. Mm. I shared this last week. I'm trying to change how I preach. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying not to so much um, go by what uh, I prepare in my notes and things like that. And I'm sure uh, many of it, you know, it's not going to be very polished. I'm going to forget to say a lot of things. Some things won't be clear. I'll probably meander a little bit. Uh, I guess that's me trying to let go and being, that's okay. In your mind, you're like, no, don't do that, please. But um, it's part of my growth, so bear with me. Uh, But because I didn't use my notes uh, last week, there's this quote I wanted to give, and I forgot to give it. And I, I, after the service, I was like, oh, man, I wanted to say this to the congregation, but I didn't. And then I was like, you know what? I have to trust that uh, God didn't want me to say that last week. I think God wants me to say it this week, though. So here's a quote. Uh, you know, John Wimber, he's the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with it, um, I guess it's a pretty big movement. And uh, he, he tells a story about how he was, like, really laboring hard for ministry. And, you know, there was not that much fruit. And... Um, he heard God say to him, John, I have seen your ministry. Now let me show you mine. Now let me show you mine. That's a turning point for him. And after laboring really hard to make his ministry fruitful, uh, after hearing that from God, he surrenders to God, he surrenders to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit did really powerful things through his ministry. And I think it takes that step of obedience and true surrender to the Holy Spirit uh, to really see what God can do, to really see God's power. You know, the Holy Spirit is one who, he's the only one that's going to bring sin to light. You know, if there's a lot of shame in our lives and our hearts in this community, uh, our reaction is going to be, oh, the, the bad things, let's like not talk about it, let's hide it, let's, uh, let's kind of bury it deep. And the thing is, Satan works in the dark, so when those kinds of things are not brought to light, Satan wins. When those things are not brought to light, we will not have a a clean home. When those things are not brought to light, I don't think we'll experience and see the power of God to the degree that we can. As we think about our lives, as we think about the ministry of our church, as you think about uh, what God is calling you to do and the works that he has prepared for you beforehand, Perhaps God is saying to you, I've seen how you do things. I've seen how you work. I've seen your ministry. Guess what? Not good enough. (laughs) You're not going to find life. You're not going to find freedom. You're not going to have joy. You're just going to be tired and weary all the time. Uh, You may may succeed on a worldly level, but on a spiritual level, uh, you will not have reached the potential that the Holy Spirit would have wanted you to reach had you surrendered. I've seen your work. Now let me show you mine. I believe that that word is applicable to many of us today. And as we, as we serve, as we surrender, in our life, whatever we struggle with, whatever we de- we're dealing with, and if you're a uh, part of this church, uh, I imagine you're invested somewhat in the mission of this church and wanting to reach people here in New York City 
comes by way of surrender. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The command is be passive and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Let's pray together.